Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. All right, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Bear Archery's Hunting 101, where we're talking elk hunting and elk calling with Mark Carlton from Native and Shane Mowry, the Bone Maniac. Guys, Native makes some phenomenal calls and uh, some really cool custom handmade calls, some really cool customizable calls. That way it's not one size fits all, but you can find what works for you, what fits best for you, and the calls that you blow the best. Guys, we talk about tips for learning how to call. We talk about tips for getting ready for this fall. Uh, we talk about when to call, why to call, how to call. It's a phenomenal episode, especially if you're gearing up for an elk hunt this fall. Guys, as always, this episode is brought to you by our good friends over at Scentlock. So stay right here, tuned in, and I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast, where hunters new and old come to learn and find inspiration from stories of hunts gone by. Everyone is welcome to enjoy the outdoor way of life, and there is no better time to start than right now. So let's head into the great outdoors with your host, Dylan Ray. Guys, there's one fabric that if you're not wearing, you absolutely should be. It's a magic fabric. It changes everything about the way you layer, everything about the way you dress, everything about the way you hunt, and that is merino wool. I couldn't even begin to tell you all of the benefits of merino wool, and I'm going to miss some for sure. But guys, whether it's summer or whether it's winter, uh, this is going to keep you cool in the in the summer. It's moisture wicking. It's going to pull the moisture away from your body, but it's also going to hold your heat in the winter. It is antimicrobial. It doesn't smell. It doesn't hold scent like other fabrics does. So if you're out on a five-day hunt, you don't have access to a washer, this is not going to hold your scent. It's not going to to get stinky and nasty. Um, it's also uh, quick drying. Um, you can hang this up in your tent. You can hang it up uh, on a clothesline. It's going to dry really quick. But the coolest part about Merino, in my opinion, is that when it gets wet, it still maintains it still maintains its warmth properties. So if there's a light rain or a snow and this gets wet, it's still going to keep me warm. There's no itch. There's it's it's non-allergenic. It's an amazing, an amazing fabric. Minus thirty three. I stumbled upon minus 33 by accident i was on backcountry.com and they were having a blowout sale i needed some new merino for a hunt that was coming up and so i i dove in i bought it and when i got it it was the softest best merino i have ever felt in my entire life i've not worn anything but minus 33 socks for everyday life whether i'm hunting hiking or just you know out for the day i haven't worn anything but minus 33 socks in over a year and a half Every single day I'm wearing their underwear. Every single time I'm out hunting, whether it's 100 or whether it's 5, I'm wearing some sort of beanie to cover up my chrome dome and to keep that covered up and warm uh, or cool whether if it's in the summer. But also, um, that UV protectant. I like to wear it in the summer. Um, guys, minus 33 does Merino, in my opinion, better than anybody else does it. 
Go check out Minus 33 for all your Merino wool. And if you haven't ever tried Merino, guys, you are missing out. It will change the way you layer. It will change the way you hunt. Go check out Merino wool and go check out Minus 33. All right, gentlemen. So elk season is right around the corner. I am actually not going on an elk hunt this year. I uh, opted in for some early season velvet whitetail hunts instead. Um, but nonetheless, people are getting geared up for elk season. So uh, let's talk about some elk calls, um, different functions of each, how to use each maybe, um, and just just have fun with it. Before we jump in, though, Mark, give us an introduction to yourself and everything you've got going on at Native. So uh, personal introduction side, my day job is a fire department paramedic guy. Um, Native's kind of been a passion project that we started on the side. Our, our history goes way, way back. So it starts with my dad, who was Wayne Carlton, that brought over the, the first diaphragm elk call from the turkey world. And he was an original Gainesville, Florida native kid that grew up in Florida and then moved to Colorado in the about late 75, 76 is when he came out and then stumbled into an opportunity into the game calling world. And um, uh, Carlton's calls really got going about 83 and then uh, took off from there. But he was kind of one of the main road pavers there in the industry, especially in that fourth, fifth generation window there of, of what businesses are today. That's awesome. I'm actually headed to Gainesville next week. So um, I'll be in that in his stomping grounds. Yep. Yeah, we'll be. We've got a lot, a lot of family still there and a lot of deep ties. So. So by the time this episode airs, um, I think I can say this. Um, I will have spent some time in Gainesville with Neil down there who runs the factory, uh, who is the last student of Fred Bear. So um, we'll have a podcast ready for you next week. So tune in uh, with Neil. It's going to be a phenomenal episode. I'm excited about it. Going to have a good time in Florida. So um, you're definitely going to want to tune in next week to to listen to Neil and and all of his wealth of of knowledge. Um, Shane, you know, no stranger to the show, man. They don't need to hear your voice much. <laughs> I don't need to talk. <laughs> <laughs> we were just talking. Shane's here for one reason. That's to kill stuff. Like he, you know, he's not good to look at, he, he, but he can kill a whole lot of crap. So that's why you're here. Don't, don't be jealous of my beard. <laughs> I am. I am. I am. I can't grow one for at least another 10 years at the firehouse. So I, I do have beard envy. No shame. No shame in my game, bro. I, I am definitely, I am definitely uh, envious of the beard, but uh, no, I, um, Mark is a, is a, is a friend of Shane's and we wanted to just talk elk hunting, talk elk calling, uh, talk some different calls. Um, so gentlemen, before we jump in, first off leading up to season, I, I get this question a couple times a year. I don't know why I get the question because I'm not an elk hunter by trade, but um, what should they, I get the question about practicing for, for elk calling quite a bit. Um, maybe that's cause I'm in the Midwest and like you need practice, but um, what are some good practices for practicing leading up to season? Practice So the, the conversation has changed, I think, a lot in the last 10, 15 years on calls in general. So like a lot of your viewership, a lot of the guys listening on your end, I'm, I'm sure are going to be Eastern based guys. Um, and I think 
calls have changed a lot from your turkey guy because we've got what six million annual turkey hunters right so guys are super familiar with, with a turkey read versus there's been a lot of technology and changes on the elk side um and i think that in practicing i think it starts with trying to find something that works and you're familiar with first and then finding you know basically a place where you can kind of be successful there to where when you're practicing you're 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 making some gains and i think what's important is a lot of the domed over reads on the elk side now are very loosely stretched reads. And the, and the reason that dome is there is that dome is like a duck call or anything else that you put in your mouth. So as soon as you put a duck call, say to your mouth, there's, there's back pressure there, right? And you cup your hand over it and, and you can jam up to a high ball. You can do some different things with it, but your mouth is, is the same thing. It's still an instrument. It still builds pressure. So we figured out how to maximize that on the elk side. So those domed over reeds run very differently than the traditional turkey reeds. And tubes, um, how things fit, size, size of frame for your mouth, all those things make a difference on being successful when you do practice. But I think guys need to be aware that when they buy reeds for elk hunting, and the domed over reeds I think are prevalently the strongest breed out there on the elk side for sure but be keenly aware that they are built differently as far as um, you really got to pair them with a really good tube that matches up and, and gets everything correct and builds the proper amount of back pressure in your mouth. And if you want to go the other way, there's also some, definitely some, some varieties that I don't think are quite as good of a read being more traditional turkey stuff without the dome that are more tension-based that as soon as you put, say, more tongue pressure, you get more octaves out of the reed versus on these domed over reeds, you're also going to push a lot more air from your diaphragm through and you're going to pair it with a good tube that makes a difference. Um, what guys need, need to practice, I think first thing is they got to find what they're going to be proficient on and familiar with and then kind of go from there. But guys don't practice near enough, man. And I'm sure Shane can attest to this. When guys come out here, they're not proficient enough at the calling side to where they just don't want to screw up. Like they don't want to say the wrong thing. So, so they're not able to utilize that tool as much as they should, as much as a guy does say a, a turkey call. Um, it, practicing is a thing, man. Guys, guys have got to get kind of dialed in into it and they need to get stuff in their hands earlier than later. So let me just say this too. If you're not well-practiced, just don't call. Like leave that to the guide, leave that to your buddy, leave that to the person like don't. And that goes with anything. Like I, I grew up a big duck hunter growing up in Arkansas. I grew up a big duck hunter and dude, it'll about kill you when a buddy says, man, I've been practicing my duck call and then oh, got birds, birds working in. And then somebody sounds like a dying coyote on a duck call. And you're like, bro, well, you just screwed that up for us. So if you're not well practiced and, and, just don't just don't do it. Leave that to the guide. Um, leave that to the buddy. Leave that to the more well uh, experienced person. Shane, what are you um, when you're choosing an elk call? What are you looking for? Like what what makes you go? Yeah, that's the one I want. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to top off with what um, what market said is they don't practice enough. And I think first off is 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 understanding the language, you know, and and. Most guys that come out, you know, and to really reiterate what, what you were saying is, is um, they uh, leave it to the guide or a buddy, but most of them are, and we'll, we'll say it, you know, social media has driven a lot of DIY guys that come out and want to do it on themselves um, and they don't know what they're doing. So they'll, they'll, 
they'll go in the woods and actually it's it's into the benefit to, to other guys around um the area because they push push the animals away you know or they educate them like the eastern eastern birds right so um is is i mean you got you got to speak what what the language is um for me it's about uh what tag i have you know um and understanding okay i'm going to go in and do my scouting on it i want to understand the the group of elk that i'm going to be hunting or the drainage or the unit um and what type of pressure is there so um for me it's about knowing what i'm up against whether that's you know hunter pressure whether that's wolf pressure um or or just uh the terrain itself um so i'm i'm kind of old school on just how i turkey hunt too um talking can be too much right so um for me it's about location um and then it's about being able to slip in within the comfort range of whatever animal i am whether i'm got a cow tag or bull tag or whatever um and then trying to approach from there uh sometime i get it because i'm not the i'm not the best caller and i'll admit it um but i know enough to get the job done so uh and sometimes there's a lot of uh screw up involved with that and i think that just comes from uh understanding from from my part and, and mark probably will test this is the elk here in Idaho speak completely different than what they do in Colorado or say New Mexico or Arizona, where there's not a lot of predation um, within that. So uh, they're tight lipped a lot here, you know? Yeah. Well, people it, don't get that at all. Like about any species, dude, people are like, and I can, I can speak a lot more knowledgeable on, on calling whitetails than anything. Cause well, I live in Kansas, but, you know, people ask me all the time, I'm like, do you call a lot? And I'm like, that depends, dude. If I'm in Arkansas, no. If I'm in Missouri, uh, not really. If I'm in Kansas, heck yeah, I do. Uh, if I'm in Texas, heck yeah, I do. Because you have to know where are these animals more vocal at. And and there, it's not one size fits all. And that's for turkeys, ducks. Man, if you get further down south, you can burn a duck because they've been shot at over calls for the last month and a half. So you can, if you start blowing too much, dude, you, you mess yourself up. So people have to understand that's not just with elk. It's not just with deer. It's not one size fits all. Like you have to understand where you're hunting and where are things different at. Um, what are some, what are some good resources that you guys know of as far as learning how to call, practicing calling, learning the vocalization of elk? What are some good resources the guys can dive into and start watching and listening to, to, to gain that experience. Man, I th there's, there's a ton on that. And I wanted to go back just for a second though, and, and touch on that where we were just for a second. I think one of the other things too, that, that comes up is what's your expectation of your hunt, whether you're going, because yeah. it, your That's expectations coming in is a huge factor. Are you self hunting? Are you hunting close to the road? Are you deep wilderness hunting? Are you with an outfitter? Do they only have 2000 acres? Do they have half a million acres? Like, like expectations and having that conversation is, is huge. Cause if you're going with an outfitter and you're wanting a deep remote wilderness pack hunt, you know, that's going to change stuff a lot. If, if you want to really get out and walk and pack and see the country and that guy only has 2000 acres leased, you're not going to be happy with that hunt. I mean, there, there's so many things there 
if, if you put the question, what are your expectations to it first? I think that really helps clean some of that up and at least get you going in the right direction. Um, yeah. Because That's I think a, a lot of guys, <clears throat> I see it every year in Colorado, right? So we're, we're the, at least in the past, I think we're shifting daily, but you know, we've been the open state where everybody comes, right? We, we had, we had over, man, I, I've got to pull the data, but I think I've been roughly, it's been, we had over 20,000 archery hunters in the state of Colorado last year. So when I graduated, we had 7,000 for elk. So now we're at 20. So the, the numbers coming into the state is more and more and more. So that changes how we approach everything. So I, I, th I think that question has to be asked more and more and has to be fleshed out and figuring out what you're going to do and how you're going to hunt. And I, we see guys coming every day and they've got tree stands in the truck. And then in my yeah. head, living here, hunting every day, I'm thinking, man, you ain't going to get that tree stand even close to where you need to be. But, <laughs> you know, those guys, those out-of-staters are, are also crutching off of what they know and what they're comfortable with too, which I totally understand. But there's, there's some reality there too. Like the, the nearest wallow I've got is a two and a half hour drive than a three hour hike in. I'm not taking a tree stand. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, there's just some realities there of, like I said, of, of expectations of, of what your plan is. And, you know, I, I, I hate it when guys come out, man, and, and they just spend thousands of dollars and didn't even see an elk. And it is more common than the other side. I can promise you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that's why, uh, <laughs> Shane, you'll get a kick out of this, dude. I was with Waylon at Ace Outfitters there in Idaho and. Man, there was lots of fires going on around us. And so the elk just shut up, you know, they weren't responding well. And, and we come across a tree stand that was hung and he knew it was there, but we stumbled upon it and there was tracks everywhere crossing every which way underneath that tree stand. And so Shane said, did I want you to sit here? Not Shane. Sorry. Waylon said, did I want you to sit here all day long? And I'm like, all right, I'll do it. And, uh, and he said every 45 minutes or so, just blow this call. And I'm like, well, I've never blown one of those. What do you do? He's like, you literally just blow into it. And I'm like, okay, sounds good. And so I sit there all day long, every 45 minutes to the hour. I'd hit that call. But, you know, best way I knew how, dude. All I did was blow into it. Well, the next day I blew into it and and, and Waylon said, what the heck are you doing? And I said, blowing into this call like you told me to. And he said, was that what you were doing all day yesterday? <laughs> and I said, yeah. And he said, no wonder you didn't see any stinking bulls, dude. That's horrible. And I'm like, you told me to just blow into it. <laughs> and and he said, no, dude, that's not even close. And I'm like, well, that's fantastic. <laughs> and so so man, I, I, I did... still think, man, the most important thing, Shane, Shane's right. You don't have to be perfect. Um, <laughs> but he said, I don't hey, even know what that is. Get that out of here. <laughs> but cadence is probably number one. I, I think in yes. calling and being proficient, cadence is absolutely the top of the list. Elk all have their different voices. Like, like I get a little cracked up with we just like listening to ourselves bugle a lot but i can promise you man in the woods you're going to hear stuff that you're going to think's a red hereford bull out there that that's a 300 and something inch elk that doesn't sound anything like a damn elk so Absolutely. cadence and intent i mean there's still going to be things that are more valuable than sounding perfect by any means the biggest thing is just don't sound repetitive like i hate squeeze me's i hate hoochie mamas i hate those things that are just repetitive and they sound like the same thing over and over and over again if i nail a guy in the woods that's another hunter it is always off of cadence yeah yeah i agree with that 100 so what's the best place they can go to like somebody's going on their first ever elk hunt 
They, they have no idea what an elk sounds like. They've never heard one in the wild. They're going on their first elk hunt, but they really want to start diving into calling. What's the, what are some, uh, some guys out there to tune into some YouTube videos to watch, you know, to really get a good idea about, like you said, cadence and how to blow a call and how to work a call. Um, where can they tune into for that type of stuff? Well, the, the first place that I think is best is to listen to real elk. So yeah, that means 100%. like tuning in to listen to guys that post it. Like I've got stuff on my phone constantly, even after, after I've been, I called them my first elk at 14. I'll, I'll be 48 this year. It's not that I don't know what elk. I still listen to live elk constantly. So like uh, I video wildlife does a bunch of just posting elk bugling cow calls uh j scott outdoors has a that's all the guy posts i swear is elk bugling yeah um it's stuff like those guys that i but i mean search those things real elk more than anything else as far as learning to use stuff there's some really good there's going to be quite a few guys out there now i mean there's elk brothers does a really good job they even do a elk calling school um elk call academy does one with michael batiste um of course elk 101's been around forever but there's getting to be quite a few resources out there now for guys to to learn from um i don't post near as much as i should about running diaphragms and learning it's something i probably need to tend to a little bit but but there are those resources out there now but first and foremost man listen to real elk yeah i i agree with that because uh real elk the one thing that i'm really hell-bent on is uh don't listen to the world Elk calling championships. <laughs> no, hundred percent. No, don't listen to all. those guys. Um, I I don't know. I think they're too perfect. You know, and they are realistic. You know, um, you don't hear that in the in the elk woods. You know. Yeah. No, I say the same thing. Like about duck hunters, like the championship duck calling competitions, retarded. I mean, it, it's nothing that those ducks don't scream a highball for four minutes. Like you, like you're listening to the championships. Yeah. Um, so you're hundred percent great. It's a different game. It's a, it's a different game they're playing. So don't, I mean, and exactly what you just said, you know, I tell people, I'm like, you want to hear what a duck sounds like? Go sit at your park for an hour. Like yep. just go down to the local park and, and listen to the ducks. You know, they're not, they're not just screaming ever, you know, the ducks fly by. They're not just screaming. Um, but they're just sitting there quacking a little bit. Yeah. Like, well, and that's, that's true as a, uh, I mean, I, I'm out a lot, you know, um, yeah. in the field, probably more than anybody else, you know, but, and, and if you're out there, um, 365, you will definitely encounter, you know, the animal and, and you just sit down and just listen, you know, yep. yeah. see, see how they congregate one with one another, <clears throat> not that I could ever mimic them or anything like that. Um, because each one of them has their own, well, like Mike. They said, all have their own voice. Absolutely. Yep. Just like we do. You know, I don't speak correctly, and so I don't call correctly. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yep. I don't the, talk good. The calling contest is a, it's a good excuse to practice, and I, I think it's built around what we are limited to as human beings. Like, like there's some stuff we just cannot reproduce, man. It's just too wild. Oh, right. Um, we're trying, but man, there's some of the when you listen to a big bull just. I mean, there's just some secondary and third stuff going like we will never be able to reproduce it. We can get oh, damn yeah. close, but yeah. man, the, I mean, it's, they all have their own voice and I'm, I laugh. I got into an elk tornado last year, just a convergence of about three herds, which is a rarity. A guy usually gets it done a few times in his life. 
if he hunts a lot where, you know, you just get a couple hundred elk of a lot of big bulls and all hell breaking loose and just the variety of sounds that came out of those bulls. And they were all each and unique where I was able to watch them enough for 20 minutes and, and identify this is that one. This is that one. This is this. And I, then I was counting off 340, 360, 380 and trying to trying to make sure audibly I had that attached because so I knew what I was chasing. Well, that's exactly what guys are so concerned with. And this is not just with elk. Again, this is with all calling. They're so concerned with making the perfect noise. And then you go out to the woods and you hear an elk just like squeak. And you're like, what the heck was that? Yeah. Like, you, like I would be mortified if I did that into my call. Like, but dude, every elk sounds different. Every buck sounds different. Every duck sounds different. Like there is no cut uniform. This is the noise you have to make to bring the bulls in. And that's what guys have to understand. There isn't. And I think, and I, and I find this the same, I'm curious on the duck conversation too. I think whether it's goose, duck, turkey, elk, deer, I think there's a rattle and a pitch to whatever call you're using that hits a note with what you're calling to that calls them in. I, I like a really high pitch yappy turkey call. When I'm elk calling, I want something real high pitch and ringing that punches through the air. Same deal on my run, my cow calls. I, if you know, it's the guys come down in conversation all, all the time on like, and I can run the hell out of a diaphragm um, at a world-class level. But if you give me one call to choose, I'll take, we've got like a $15 open read cow call that has a super high pitch wine to it called the green weenie out of all things. And I would take that over every diaphragm I've got in the pack. Cause it has a note that it rings and it, and it punches out there. Yeah, I'm the time to get that thing has killed more elk than everything else I've got. Well, I think you're 100 percent right. And I think going back to it's different everywhere you go, which is why dudes have lanyards of 15 calls, because, you know, yep. going back to ducks. I mean, there's times you get somewhere and you're like, dude, they're not they're not getting it. And then you blow a different call and it's like, OK, that's the one they want. Like, that's what they like, especially, man, like. You look at flooded timber in southern Arkansas versus wheat fields in Kansas. Like, they like completely different stuff. And it's going to be the same. I mean, that's again, that's the same with all species. Like, Kansas deer sound a whole lot different than Texas deer. Why? They weigh 100 pounds more. Like, yep. they just, they're bigger bodied deer. They have more. I mean, so it's going to be different everywhere you go. Well, um, and I've, the, the traditional, like, Location bugle is just real. I'll do one real quick. It's just real high and fluty. That's our typical opening bugle to try to get something to response. I yeah. can't tell you how often, how gnarly and nasty I've gotten that bulls have answered back that I had no clue that were there. That was much more like that was just, I mean, it goes completely against the grain of. Sound small, be little, don't be over-threatening. It's completely the opposite. But time and time again, before I leave an area that I feel like there should be L, I will make sure to, to, to throw out every call I've got and every voice to make sure I don't miss something. Yeah. No, you're right, 100%. Um, so you keep talking about all these different calls. Walk us through, walk the listeners through all of the different types of calls they need to be aware of. Um, and then it calls as far as like, um, not noises that we make, but the actual different calls, uh, that they need to be aware of when choosing calls. Um, 
I, I still think it is going to be somewhat traditional. So like my opening sequences will be like a, just an open read cow call. I don't actually have one on me. Um, but it's I'll start with something subtle of just something like a And I'll just throw a little bit out there and then I'll sit. I'll, I'll wait a few more minutes and I'll come back with another one. I just keep it organic. I space it out a little bit. I try to imagine what I would see an elk doing in the woods and what that would sound like. And I give it some time. I'll sit in areas if I really feel like there should be elk there. Like if I know it's a good drainage, I'll sit in that drainage for 45 minutes if I got to. Oh, I'll yeah. give them some time. Because um, quite often, man, you'll get, like I laughed. The bull that I killed last year, I had four bulls working that drainage. I knew it was a good drainage. I ended up shooting one that that sounded beefy enough. Like I, I picked one out of the three that were working. I'm like, all right, that's what I'm going after. And I ended up shooting a bull. And then on the pack out, I came across the trail and there was about a 370 sitting in the trail, sleeping, staring at me after I woke him up. And what I miss is within all those bugles, he had just done some real subtle, just, and that was, he did it twice looking back at it. And I missed that. So I, I shoot a 300 inch bull and there's a 36, 370 sitting in the middle of the trail that I could have killed with a rock on my way up because I wasn't paying attention and listening and giving that some time. So, you know, go, going back, have your sequences. I'll open up with cow calls and I'll do some light bugles, but I'll give it some time for that to develop. More, more than anything. So what do you say to the guy who just gets out and immediately starts ripping off? Like, <laughs> Know where you're at, first of all. So I, I still hunt really, really deep, remote, dark timber. Like I, I'm three hours in of just solid walking before I even start hunting. And that's yeah. after a two and a half hour drive into the woods. I'm, I'm, I'm as remote in Colorado as, as you can get today. Um, kind of know where you're at. The, the, the other contrast is, Say unit 62 out here is out, out our back door in Colorado. <clears throat> it's 800,000 acres. So it's a little, it's 200,000 acres bigger than Rhode Island, right? It's a state. Um, it's the busiest unit in the state of Colorado. Like there are people all over that damn thing. Um, I, man, I'll call like at 4 a.m. when it's dark and I'll hunt drainages. I'll do more of the, the sit and, and wait mode. When I'm in deep, heavy timber in remote Colorado, I bugle like a fiend. So it's still kind of coming back to that being aware of where you're at. Jane, yeah. you laugh. That's because you've seen it more often than no, not. I huh? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you stay the hell away from those kind of guys yeah. that just scream their heads yeah. off. Or, or yeah, you get away from them and they push up to you. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I get in there's 62, <laughs> there's just so many other people in 62 that I will hunt the top end of the drainages or the bottom end of those drainages and try to find those funnels and, and hunt where those elk are getting pressured to. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Guys, there's not many things that I'm going to tell you to stop and do right now. One of those things is to stop and go join Pope and Young right now. It's 45 bucks for the entire year to be a member of Pope and Young. And what that does for you is that helps to ensure your rights as a bow hunter. Pope and Young is constantly fighting for your rights as a bow hunter. They are the national bow hunting organization in North America. They exist to protect your rights as a bow hunter. They are all the time going before state legislators uh, to fight for your rights and to continue protecting your rights as a bow hunter. The record book exists in the first place because somewhere between us and the Indians, 
people had lost sight that bow hunting was a lethal way of harvesting big game. And so Glenn St. Charles and his group of cohorts, they started the record book so they could take it to different states and show that bow hunting is, in fact, a, a ethical way of harvesting big game. So guys, don't get caught in, in, in Pope and Young only being a record book. They are your voice for bow hunters, and there's power in numbers. So I would highly encourage you to join today because we need to stand together to protect our rights. Also, what you might not know is if you've bought a bare bow, you can go and register that bow, and you're actually going to get a free Pope and Young membership. Bear Archery is such a believer in the mission of Pope and Young and what they stand for and what they do to protect our rights that they are going to buy your first year's membership. So if you've bought a bow, go online and register that bow, and you're going to get a free year's membership to Pope and Young. But guys, I would encourage you, stop right here right now and go join Pope and Young because we have to protect our rights as bow hunters. So Shane, what is your, uh, what's the, what's your biggest tip you got? Somebody's headed to elk hunt. They've never called before. What's the biggest tip you got for the, for the new elk hunter? <laughs> Find somebody who knows what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I get it all the time, you know, on the guide side and, and then, uh, you know, uh, or just whatever, you know, uh, and they'll say, where should I go? And, I think it's getting tougher and tougher. Um, Agree. You know, Co Colorado's, all, you know, still have OTC. I don't know how much longer that's going to be. Um, Oregon shut down the OTC. You know, uh, you can still get landowner tags in New Mexico. Idaho goes out quick. Um, you know, Washington, we still have OTC. You know, uh, but um, that's a tough hunt. You know, there's a lot of private land in in Washington. Uh, but, uh, I, I don't have a good answer for that. Um, the resources I think are tightening up a lot, um, as far as that's concerned, you know? Yeah. Well, and that's why, like, I, I know the appeal to like the, the dudes that are hard on for do it yourself. Like I get that. Like you're, you're <laughs> bad to the bone. Nobody helped you. But I also have heard from several guys that like, yeah, I've, this will be my ninth year. And I'm still trying to find some elk. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Like you spent nine years going to elk hunt and haven't found them yet. And they're like, well, I just can't afford an outfitter. I'm like, dude, over the nine year span, you've yeah. still dropped seven or $8,000. So learn. put that into one year, hire a guide and yeah. take all this information, all this knowledge, ask them all week long. Dude, I drove Waylon nuts because like I drive any of my outfitters nuts because I'm always asking them questions. Why do you do this? Why do you go here? Why are we going? I don't care if it's a turkey hunt or a gator hunt. Like, I just want to learn everything I can about that species while I'm with an outfitter. So I'm asking them all these questions. So save yourself the heartache. Save yourself the trouble of eight years of trying to find your first elk. Hire a guide. Ask them all these questions. Ask them how to call, why to call, when to call. Where are elk at this time of day? Why are they going here this time of day? Learn as much as you can from that outfitter, yep. and it will make your following DIY years so much more enjoyable. Yeah, access is the big issue. Um, you know, when you're trying to point guys out here that are going to do the self hunt, everything out west re revolves around water, like everything does. When I chase elk, man, they're just going from water source to water source to some degree, and some of them are going to live on that water source. Some of them are going to be what I call residential elk, and they'll stay in that drainage and just not bugle as much, be quiet and run around in circles. 
Um, but it is always revolving around the water out here. And, you know, one of the other things too, that, that even, even if we live out here and you can't learn there unless your boots are on the ground, but, but I even go as far as, as flying in the summertime. Like I've got some buddies that got pilot license, small planes, pay the gas fee and we'll just get in there and we'll go fly units. Cause even on a unit, man, think about how overwhelming it is to come out here and hunt a unit with 800,000 acres and to try to find the, the main hot spots in that unit to go hunt your elk. It's impossible. And, and even me, I'm amazed we'll get an airplane out here and we'll go fly. And it's usually $300 in plane fuel to go do it. But I swear, man, you'll, you'll get up above that unit and they are still in a handful of places over the entire unit where they like, like to congregate. There's elk everywhere. Don't get me wrong. But man, there's a lot more right here and there's a lot more over here. And, and it's just, yeah. it's like finding a needle in the haystack. I think for the guys to come out here, the do I wires is really, really hard because it is just, there's just so much acreage out here. It is just overwhelming the magnitude of how much country there is to learn and to hunt. And, and even that, man, I, I look at where I've been the last 15 years and it's, it's a dot in the middle of that unit. And I'm amazed at how much country I don't hunt. I oh, make yeah. it over. I mean, every year I get over another drainage and find a little bit more water. And it's usually chasing elk around is what leads me there. <clears throat> but man, it's to try to figure out the access out here is no small task. You are, you are not wrong. Well, dude, I, I had a buddy come home from his first ever elk DIY <laughs> hunt. And uh, he's like, yeah, man, all I shot was a stinking cow. And he was like, disappointed. I'm like, dude, you've never been to Colorado and you've never elk hunted. Like, the fact that you got on a cow elk with your bow and shot it is phenomenal. So it like, is. don't, don't get yourself down, man. And, uh, I think that's what a lot of guys, a lot of guys, and it's again, this is the same with any kind of species you're hunting. The expectations aren't a reality and they think they're going to come to Kansas and just shoot a 180. They think they're going to roll <laughs> into Colorado and just find a 350 bull because that's what they see on Instagram. And, the expectations just aren't a reality. And so if you go in with the expectation of like, man, I really want to, my first year, I really want to shoot a cow. But if I see a spike, dude, it's getting an arrow. I mean, like whatever. Um, but if you go in with more realistic expectations, it sets you up for success. Well, and guys need to come year, year to year and, th and they need to pick a good unit, something that they can draw readily and try to come every year. If they can, yeah. because every, every, every hunt, man, even living here, every hunt leads me to something new and it, mm -hmm. I'm able to build it and hunt that area way more efficiently. I actually think as, as we're changing Colorado, <clears throat> I, I don't think we're very far from, you're going to have to pick your unit and you're going to have to stay. Yeah. Um, I think so. in the unit, I actually think guys will hunt that unit one hell of a lot better. Yeah. yeah. Because you're like right. even li living, living here, being over the counter 10 years ago, I'd start season on 62, I'd go to 54, I'd end up in 74. I, I, I would just hunt a seasonally. But I, you know, I can tell you, there's so many nooks and crannies and every little thing, there's, there's a seep here that's just got just enough water to hold some elk. There's, there's, you know, there's a staging area over on the next ridge that doesn't look like it from the road, but it's there and they just really dig that. So it's, yeah. you got to learn your area too. Um, I, I think the Southern guys really get, we always fall back to what we know. It goes back to like that tree stand comment. Well, we know tree stands, so I'm, I'm going to take a tree stand. But I think you've got to be a little bit more objective about it and, and think about that reality. And, and, and you're right, like shooting a cow in your first trip out here is 
man, like 7% of the tags fill out 100% of the kills out here. Like 7% of the guys, like we just, the guys that good, good, get good, killing elk, keep killing elk. And there's a bunch of guys that don't, you know? So I, I think you've really got to step back and look at that. Yeah, for well, sure. You can't learn all that <clears throat> in one, one week's hunt. No, it's and, a lifetime, man. It, it really is. I mean, you learn something every day, you know, that you're out there. So Shane, what made you, uh, what made you fall in love with native? Uh, Wayne's been around forever, right? <laughs> he is. I, you know, so, um, uh, and that's what my, my dad used. Uh, and you know, I feel like with, with this V3 right here, um, that Mark sent out, uh, it seals, it seals to my mouth really good. Uh, and I'll be the first one. I mean, I don't, I don't make perfect sounds by any means, but um, I feel like I, I use this call better than than anything else that I've used. Uh, that 750, um, I like that. Yeah. That call. Um, it's a different just, voice. Yeah, I, I really like that. Um, I've had a lot of response with that uh, that call last year. Uh, and I got a little fixated on that one, one bull that. <laughs> I, yeah. That's pot calling the kettle black this year. I understand. Man. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I won't cause I'm, I'm, I've always been like, I'm going to shoot the first thing I, I call in and that's just how I've always been. And, um, that bull's a little special, but he's around this year. So <laughs> I, yeah, I did it last year. <laughs> so I got on a, I got into that elk vortex of hell last year with all those elk and, my yeah. goal was 300 or better. And when I got to 380, my plan went out the window. <laughs> Completely out the window. Yeah, I, it was off. <laughs> so go, going back to, to the calls a little bit. So what we've done on the V3 um, and making guys proficient, the biggest thing that comes up is finding what fits. So we built a, a back pressure reed with a really good tube. That's Our tube would be ready here in just a couple of weeks. It's on the water now. Um, but what we did unique with the V3 was, is we built it in three sizes. So traditionally, we've, we've only made sizes like we've been really limited with what we've done there. So we've built a small, medium, and large frame, large being the same width as what your turkey reads are. So guys will be familiar with that. It's not, I don't want large get be misinterpreted. It's no bigger than a turkey read. Um, but we've sized those out to fit everybody accordingly. So we sell it like in a sizer pack of a small, medium, and large. So guys can, can grab three, find what fits. And then on each side, we have three different weights of latex to go with that, that they can choose from those also and get deeper into it. And then we also have gone as far as we've got two different styles of tape. Now we've got a, the old style uh, soft tape, which is honestly just gaff tape. We use gaff tape on reeds for 70 years now, almost um, like from day, day one, that's we've been using duct tape and gaff tape. So we've got that, and then we have a new, much more durable, waterproof material called call armor that we also have as a secondary option. So we've really gone into the development and options on on how guys can pick stuff up to find what they're going to be successful on. Well, and that right there, not only with calls, but that right there is going to want that. That's what sets people apart is because one size does not fit all with anything. Uh, I can't think of one thing in the outdoors that it's like one size is perfect for everybody. No. And that's why I believe is what sets you apart is, is it's not 
well, this is what you get. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, yep. it doesn't. And well, we we're going to give you that. something to make sure it works. You know what I mean? We're going to yep. we're going to give you options to make sure it works. Uh, which Shane, I don't know if you've had much time to spend with the the new bear broadheads, but that's what I love about those is it's like, you know, it's not pick your size and order it. It's order a pack and figure out what your arrow likes the best. Um, and and you can really tune that. You know what I mean? And that's just what that's what's going to set great apart from from good is is customization to fit the hunter. And so kudos to you, man. I think that's uh, I think that's what really. What really sets you apart and makes you special? Well, and then like I said, we're, we're trying, and we've really, <clears throat> when we came back into 2015, we've really listened to what we were bad at first and really try to listen to what people wanted. So everything we've built around is built around hunting and um, trying to give guys options to, like I said, to, to fit wherever they want to be on the spectrum. So we've really dug hard this last two years on development on, on frame sizes. And, and we've got a pretty full gamut at this point. I think we probably got the most diverse line going at the moment. That's awesome. So I, I gentlemen, think, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, you know, uh, <coughs> as far as the duct tape, I I've noticed, uh, you know, the old style that people are having trouble getting a good seal and get the right pitches out. And do, would you agree, Mark, that with this new style that you have, um, I know you, there was a name for it, but I, I, I can't remember what it is. Um, I think it seals to my roof of my mouth a lot better, and I'm able to get a, a much better uh, sound out of it versus the old duct tape yeah. style. I mean, we're offering both, both it you know, this year, but at the same time, I keep coming back to the new to the new stuff just because it it's just holds up so much better. It seals good for me. It's just it's different. It doesn't feel quite like the gaff tape. I will say like if you go, if you're used to diaphragms and you jump over to what we, and it's called call armor is what we're calling it. Call it's, arm, yeah. it's heat, it's heat sensitive. So where you throw gaff tape in your mouth, it's immediately soft. Um, the call armor is heat sensitive. So it takes a couple minutes to come up to your body temperature to get to that appropriate softness. That's the only difference right. that I can really come up with. I mean, we've been running a, a ton. Um, and it's, I mean, it's, we're selling about 50, 50 between the two, but all options are available online. Like, like guys can really play with and figure out what they want to do there. Right. And, awesome. and I think that's a lot to do with uh, just guys not understanding what it is, you know, it's just new technology it's and new, new stuff. But yeah. if you use it, then I, I feel like it, you'll get a much better sound out of seal, seal wise to the roof of your mouth anyway. Yeah. I, I found it, but I mean, we've been doing it a long time, man. Like I, I go back to dad's first story when the first diaphragm he saw when he was a kid, which had to be in the fifties was an, an uncle. And I'm sure this was like, like a pass down. Hey, this is how I'm doing this. And they had taken a condom and they had sandwiched it in between a lead top to a tape toothpaste tube that they had filed out into a horse to horse horseshoe shape and then slapped it all together with duct tape and cut it out with a pair of scissors. That was his di first diaphragm you ever saw as a kid. So we've been <laughs> using it for that long. And by the way, we are still using condom and turkey calls where that little magic ingredient, they say prof, that is still prophylactic because we are still using condom from 1950. Yeah. These turkey calls are brought to you by Trojan. <laughs> Protecting you in the bedroom and helping you in the woods. You're not going to be able to use this as a pickup line in the bar, so. Or well, you. You've obviously never been to Mississippi. Yeah, what do you do with that? Like, like I, I, I've always, 
I've never been as serious about the calling competition stuff as I could. And I've always joked at myself about it. Like, I mean, I can't even use that as a pickup line. I mean, how does that even come across? Like, hey, want to hear me sound like a rutten bull elk? I'll show you my <laughs> diaphragm made out of condom. I mean, what do you do with that? I don't. <laughs> you ought to try a bar in Mississippi. You'd be amazed what them girls fall for. <laughs> it has changed today, for sure. So, gentlemen, guys are gearing up for elk season. They're getting their gear ready. They're sighting in their bows. They're going on hikes every morning. What's your number one tip for guys that are getting ready for an elk hunt this coming September? What's your number one tip to get them ready? Be prepared for being uncomfortable and practice before you get here. Yeah. Because you're physically going to be uncomfortable for sure. Just yeah. It's physically more than guys ever plan on. Yeah, 100%. Like, Same I don't think you can even us. plan for it. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I mean, it's uh, – my, my biggest thing that I see is just they don't have the right gear. They just uh, – boots. I, I feel like boots is an important – important. It's the know? most important yeah. thing. Boots and yeah. packs. In my opinion. Yeah, boots 100%. And yeah. But mostly I, I for the new guys that come out because they don't use the packs. <laughs> agree. <laughs> no, I agree, man. Wholeheartedly. And I tell guys, if you're going to – like if you if you want to get into elk hunting, like I understand it can be a massive undertaking to get boots and packs and binos and all of that stuff in a spotting scope. I understand that can be a massive price money dump. So work on one thing a year, like your first year, invest in a really good pair of boots. Your second year, invest in a really good pack. Your third year, invest in a really good lightweight tent. You name it, but figure out you know what order you want to do that in and do it little bits at a time and upgrade stuff as you go but yep. i absolutely always tell people start with boots 100 percent. yeah and and be self-aware too and and shane's gonna agree with me on this i know so this is the way a five-day guided hunt goes in, in my past experience the guys show up full of adrenaline they kick ass for two days third day they've died like they completely crashed the the boots that they bought a hundred dollar pair pair of boots from some store somewhere because they're only going to go for five days so they don't want to justify a nice five hundred dollar pair of boots they get blistered up by day two the adrenaline's wore off physically they crash because they're not ready for the altitude or the physical slacking you just took so then they lay down for one day and then the next day they halfway go and then by the fifth day they make one more mad push and then they look back at their hunt and say man I missed half that my sucked. hunt. That sucked. And I missed half my hunt, you know, and, yeah. and that's, that's the reality. Um, I think guys, it was funny. I just listened, I was listening to a thing with Cliff Gray the other day and he was doing why people fail. And it was just like a 10 minute clip, but it was pretty, it was pretty spot on, man. It was, it was guys show up and the raring and tearing. And I mean, guides and outfitters, we, we see it regularly that this is the crash cycle. Yeah. You know, but Absolutely. it always comes down to, 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 to gear. And I think boots is the number one fail. Yeah. No, buy a good pair of boots, buy a good pair of Merino socks. It'll change. It'll, it'll, it'll make your hunt so much better. Yep. Um, I live in wool, I, wool socks for sure. I was the same way. I, I was exactly what you just described my first elk hunt. Um, and I was with some really experienced guys. I was hunting with the guys from SNS archery and, um, you know, I'd spend a lot of time on the phone with them getting a lot of advice. And but I showed up in a hundred dollar pair of boots that I got on sale at Cabela's. And I thought, dude, I 
these have to be good boots, bro. I spent a hundred bucks on them. Like, and I was a young kid. I was young married guy. And so a hundred bucks was a lot of money. Um, and I show up and I thought, well, this sucks. Like, <laughs> and so I remember getting home thinking, all right, well, honey, we got to take out a loan because I'm buying some good boots. And he said, you bought good boots for before, before you went. And I said, no, I mean, good boots, like good boots. And, uh, and so, uh, yeah, I've never, ever looked back ever. Yeah. But they'll last you, man. Like I've, I've been running the same pack for 15 years. I, I paid a grand yeah. for it, but I'm still running it. Yeah. Shane, what's your number one tip other than boots? Your number one, get ready for calling tip. Uh, uh, well, I think it just goes right back to if you're, if number one tip is, is, is finding a, uh, finding, uh, yeah, just find, find a read to, that's going to fit your mouth. It's going to work for you or an external, um, uh and i guess i don't know i i go back to um calling too much i i just my number one thing is if you're gonna go out and do it yourself just don't call too much yeah that's that's my thing you know you uh there is a such thing i i'm a i'm a waiting kind of guy i'm all 100 patient if if that animal knows you're there curiosity will always kill the cat that's my number one tip for turkey hunting that's my yeah. number one tip for elk hunting um, yeah. um and that's just i play by those rules and i don't the only time i alter is if i get this fixation that i'm killing a specific animal and then, then i usually wait to, <laughs> to the last couple of days and i'm like oh crap uh, yeah i better kill the next thing i call in <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then uh then it's a meat hunt <laughs> yeah guys i don't need to tell you about the blazer vein you're probably familiar with the blazer vein and you're probably familiar with boning boning has been around forever it's a name you can trust they sell products you can trust they have everything that you need to build your own arrows all of the jigs to, to fletch your own arrows all of the veins all of the wraps the countless numerous types of veins and wraps to build any kind of configuration you want. They also have some really cool Fredbear branded products with their Fredbear camo wraps and their Fredbear flannel wraps. Something that's really cool about that Fredbear flannel, that's actually a photo that was taken of one of Fredbear's flannel uh, famous shirts, you know, the red and gray and black that he always wore. That's actually a photo taken of his personal shirt and put on a wrap. It looks really cool, especially on some traditional arrows. But my very favorite configuration and this is coming from an arrow junkie that's tried out all different kind of veins and all different kind of configurations. I have found that this configuration stabilizes pretty much every arrow. It's whisper quiet. They fly fantastic. The three-inch Bronco vein in a four-fletch absolutely flies like a dart, whether you're shooting mechanicals or big fixed. This is going to be a fletching configuration that will work. Again, whisper quiet, long-range accuracy. I love this configuration. This is on every single one of my compound arrows. They just work. Guys, I would highly encourage you to check out boning, not just for the blazer vein, but for the heat vein, for the Broncos, for the X veins. Everything um, that you need to build your own arrows is right there on boning's website. They've been around for ages, and I promise you if you order from them, you're going to get products that you can trust.
Mark, where can they find Native? Where can they find everything they need to about Native? Um, best thing is just website for us. So it's just Native by Carlton is the company name. Um, everything we do is game calls, but uh, that that's kind of our that's our title is Native by Carlton. So website's fully set up uh, for for the viewers. Let's and I'll let you come up with it. Let's do like a thirty five percent off for guys that are listening. Yeah, um, absolutely. Put together a code for me, and and we'll we'll get it up and running and run it for the summer. Yeah. So guys, check the description in the link. Um, check the description for that discount code. So if you're looking to uh, get some elk calls, uh, we'll put a discount code down in the description. So just check that out and uh, head over to the website and do some shopping. Yep. Heck yeah. That's that's, Shane, uh, that's really generous, Mark. Shane, what do you got going on this this fall, man? You got any big hunts people need to four, be stay tuned for? I got four tags, four elk tags. Nice. Um, I'm pretty stoked about it. Uh, if I fill one, I'll be happy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Where are you going? Uh, so um, my usual, um, Washington, Oregon, and then here in Idaho. So um, uh, it's uh, that's 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 my usual deal. So um, very cool. I'll uh, put a little more emphasis then on the Washington hunts um, than what I have in the years past. So. But uh, well, guys, I'm just telling you, if you don't follow Shane yet, um, you probably shouldn't because uh, he, he just pisses you off because <laughs> he just always kills stuff. So while you're sitting there still waiting to see something, Shane's already like nine animals deep. So um, he just frustrates people, I think. <laughs> I, well, I don't know why they hate me. I mean, I always am like, come out, let's hunt. I always, yeah. always have people come out and hunt. So. Yeah. No, guys, uh, definitely go follow the Bone Maniac on social media. Um, I always love seeing all the animals that you put down. So keep doing what you're doing, man. And uh, good luck this fall guys. Thank you for listening. You guys have a fantastic week. Man. Appreciate it. Appreciate the time.